Hi, this is John Pellegrini. Way back in January of 2014, we recorded episode 15 of Special Parents Confidential, in which we learned about ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. Our guest was Connie Raymakers, who's a board-certified behavior analyst. Her interviews become our most downloaded and listened-to episode, with nearly double the listens of any other episode we've done. It's even been cited in a textbook on applied behavior analysis. However, since the interview took place, Connie's had some career changes. She's now the Director of ABA Services at Developmental Enhancement Behavioral Health. I've posted links to her new office on our website, specialparentsconfidential.com. If you listen to this podcast from our website, then you've already seen that information. But if you're a subscriber to Special Parents Confidential on iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, Pod Directory, TuneIn, Blueberry, Blog Talk Radio, or any of the other podcast subscription services that host our program, please go to our website, specialparentsconfidential.com, and make sure you get Connie's new contact information. She's even included her email address where you can correspond with her. All right, now here's Special Parents Confidential Episode 15, Applied Behavior Analysis. Welcome to another episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and in this podcast, we're going to learn about Applied Behavior Analysis, or ABA, and how it can be used to help kids with special needs. ABA is becoming established as the best method for helping special needs children work through their challenges, and in many cases, improve their abilities. But what many people don't know is that Applied Behavior Analysis has been around for quite a few decades, which is also why it's such an effective treatment. Our guest for this episode is Connie Raymakers, who is Director of ABA Services at Evidence-Based Consultants and is a behavior analyst and limited licensed behavioral psychologist who specializes in using ABA for the treatment of autistic children. She talks about the history of behavior modification, the extensive research that's been done over the decades, and how it's being used to treat children with autism. She also dispels many of the misconceptions about ABA, offers advice on what to watch out for with alternative treatments, and talks about how ABA is being used to treat other disorders for children with special needs. But first I asked her how she became interested in applied behavior analysis and the idea of using it to help treat children with autism. Uh, it, it was actually on accident. Um, I went to CMU uh, for my undergraduate degree. I knew I was going to go into psychology. I just wasn't clear exactly what area of psychology I wanted to go into. And I took my first, back then it was called behavior modification course, and I actually really fell in love with. That was the course that, out of all my courses that I took as an undergrad that I really enjoyed. So I took some more behavior modification courses, and it just so happened one of them the book that we used at that time was called Elementary Principles of Behavior, and it was written by Dick Malott, who is a professor down at Western Michigan University. So I decided that's where I wanted to go. Still wasn't quite entirely sure what I was going to do with behavior analysis, but I knew that I wanted to go there, and I knew I wanted to study under Dick Malott. So I applied and luckily was accepted, and it wasn't until I actually entered his program that we, I realized that it was uh, training practitioners in autism treatment. So 
So I kind of just fell into it. I didn't really know anything about autism prior to starting my graduate work. So you don't have anyone in your family or any direct relationship with kids with special needs or anything like that? It's just something you felt drawn to? Correct. That's interesting. Because, you know, sometimes we get people who go into a certain field because they have a family member or something like that. But it's always it's always good to know that there are also people out there who just feel drawn to it because it's something that they want to do and they want to help out on. Yeah, I always I knew I I enjoyed working with children. So when we started our practicum experience, it was in an early childhood developmentally delayed classroom at that time. And uh, it was with preschoolers with autism and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the population. I fell in love working with the kids and enjoyed what we did. So I'm glad I fell into it. That's great. Well, the the term ABA is somewhat newer, but the whole concept of behavior analysis goes back many decades. How did this whole treatment uh, idea get started? Uh, As it pertains to autism treatment, you had uh, Ivar Lovas was doing his behavior analysis uh, doctorate at University of Washington, I believe. And when he completed it, um, you know, it, he, he thought about taking that information and applying it to children, but applying it intensively. And that's where it was unique, is that he thought, let's not do this just a little bit here and there. Let's, let's see what happens when you do 30 to 40 hours a week of using these behavioral principles on kids who at that time had such severe deficits uh, just to see what would happen. So he went out to L.A., and that's where that's really kind of where it, it just took off from there, his research and on applying this 30 to 40 hours a week with these children and the results that he received. And then from then on, we've kind of just been trying to do replication studies and, and expanding on his research that he did. Now how, how often was it done before he got into doing it that often? I mean, did that much uh, per student per week? I don't really know the exact numbers. I think people were just uh, applying some of the principles. Obviously, there are people who are using behavior analytic principles prior to Ivar Lovas, but I, they were not doing it at that 30 hours a week. My guess would be it's probably less than 10. Right. So it's probably from this that we've learned that consistency and uh, continual immersion is really the best way to uh, work on behavioral objectives. Well, that's interesting that it's all, you know, basically done through uh, research and going on. And that leads me to the next question, which, of course, ABA is a therapy that's been modified over the years as the research comes in uh, and all about its effectiveness. Now, is this what it is meant by evidence-based research because of the rigorous studies that have been done on this since the 1950s? Yes, it's that constant modification and using data to drive your decision-making. You're looking at what works, but then not just looking at what works, but trying to identify why it works, and then even beyond that, who it works for, and then when it doesn't work for an individual, why it doesn't work for them and what will work for them. Yeah, I think that, you know, there are a lot of programs out there that don't have this type of research behind it, too. You know, I mean, that's one of the unfortunate things about the Internet is that a lot of programs can pop up and, you know, it's just something brand new, but uh, nobody's done any studies to prove it if any of this is effective. Whereas with ABA, you you have, uh, you know, decades of experience and research proving it. Right, and that's uh, really the beauty behind it. Behavior analysis really started uh, because... As a subset of psychology, they felt that we needed a science of human behavior. Psychology at that time was not scientific. And so here comes along these individuals who were looking at other areas um, 
and thinking, you know, physiology, why can't we be scientific and move psychology to being more of a scientific field? And that's really where behavior analysis stems from, and we've stayed true to our roots. We still continue to be a very scientific, uh, data-driven intervention. That's great. Can you give us some examples of how applied behavior analysis is being used to help treat children with autism? Sure. Uh, Usually when I try to explain it to parents who are first coming in and who don't really know much about applied behavior analysis, I usually break it down and say we're looking at two different areas. We're looking at uh, what we call barriers. So these are problematic behaviors that are interfering with a child's ability to learn skills or to progress, and we're identifying those barriers and trying to put interventions in place to decrease those barriers. And then we look at skills, and we identify what the child's strengths are, what they're really good at, and then the areas that need improvement, and put interventions in place to increase those skills. So some of the areas that we could be focusing on are communication skills, social skills, play skills, leisure skills daily living activities, um, you know, uh, fine motor skills, gross motor skills. If it's behavior, we work on it. Now, do you do this primarily one-on-one, or is there any group involvement sometimes? Both. Uh, Depending on where the child's at, for example, social skills. We may work one-on-one with the child to get some foundation work laid and then move towards uh, group skills and working and with a peer and trying to get them to make requests from a peer or trying to get them to initiate and make bids uh, to play or to engage, um, as well as responding to a peer when a peer makes a request to them for them to respond. We work on that in a group setting. And you do uh, uh, fine motor skills as well, physical therapy type work? We kind of supplement. So occupational therapists, Uh, speech-language pathologists, you know, they do their intensive work and they set up their goals. And then we work closely with them to identify what they're working on and what we can do to help that during the time that we have the child in the session because they go to OT or speech once or twice a week Mm -hmm. for an hour each, whereas we have this child 20 to 30 hours a week. So what can we do to help supplement and help you reach your goals? Now, um, you mentioned on your website at evidencebasedconsultants.com that you can also start treating children as early as 18 months. Can parents expect to see improvements with kids who are that young? Yes. That's the beauty of behavior analysis, again, because we're data-driven. So if the child isn't making gains, we will not continue to do what we're doing. We'll do something different. Um, you know, there's that infamous saying, if a child cannot learn in the way we teach, we must teach in the way that the child can learn. Mm-hmm. That's that's our model. That's great. So we're constantly evolving and constantly changing based on what the data tells us. So we have uh, little kids that come in who are 18 months to 20 months, and they do make games because, again, it's all about the treatment that you're receiving mm-hmm. and individualizing it. Right. And, of course, we always keep hearing so much that uh, the earlier the intervention can start, the better the chances for success later on. Well, as long as we're talking about results and expectations, maybe we should address what are some of the most common misconceptions that people have about applied behavior analysis? There are quite a few. Um, One of them, I think, is probably the most common is that it's only autism treatment. Uh, ABA is not synonymous with autism treatment. There's actually quite a lot of other board-certified behavior analysts, which is what I am, uh, that work in other areas, um, 
incorporations looking at safety and increasing productivity. So you're looking at industrial organizational psychology. That is behavior analysis. The recent positive behavior interventions and supports is a very behavior analytic framework in the school system. You have individuals who are also working on animal training. You know, when I was doing my graduate work at Western, we would have people from SHED occasionally come up and recruit for summer work internships so that we could train the dolphins and the other animals over at the shed. Hmm, that uh, shed aquarium, so in, you mean shed aquarium in Chicago? Correct. Wow, that's interesting. So they're doing the behavioral analysis working with the dolphins. Yeah, there's, just, there's a, a wide variety of areas. I know right now a lot of the push is on behavior analysis in, in the medical field and trying to decrease obesity, smoking cessation, working on eating disorders. So there's a wide variety of areas that we can apply our behavioral principles to and what we know about human behavior, but it's not just for autism treatment. Yeah, because I, I noticed you have on your uh, website, too, information that it can be used to treat a number of other disabilities, like uh, even Down syndrome and uh, people with cerebral palsy. Yeah, we have um, a lot of the times the, the kids that we sometimes have come through who don't have autism, uh, a lot of times they're looking for, you can, I'll reference what we talked about earlier, some of those barriers that they might have to learning. Um, so the parents are looking for guidance or help on how to decrease some um, aggressive behavior or <clears throat> some of the other barriers that they might have to learning. Can this work for kids with uh, dyslexia or ADHD as well? You know, it, it can, <laughs> actually. Um, there is some... ADHD specifically. Now, I'm not myself that would be practicing outside of my area of competency since a lot of my training was in autism specifically, but there are other behavior analysts that are working on some of those other things like ADHD and dyslexia. Now, what kind of progress can parents uh, realistically expect for their children who enroll for this type of treatment? That's a good question. A lot of our parents ask that, too. Um, We can't necessarily put a number as to where your child will progress to in treatment. Um, All we can say really, again, because we're data-driven, is that your child will progress. They'll make gains as to the extent of their gains really varies on the severity of the autism as well as um, the intensity in which they're receiving services. Mm -hmm. Uh, But each and every single child that's come through the program has made gains. Right. And I always find it fascinating, too, sometimes when, uh, you know, we we all can agree that every child is unique, but we want them all to learn at the same pace. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and that just doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. Now, are schools offering applied behavior analysis as part of the special education curriculum, or do parents need to seek this treatment outside of schools for as a supplement, as it were? Some schools are. It's not to the extent or the intensity. It doesn't really look like what you would receive clinically, uh, but some schools do offer it as part of their curriculum. They do use uh, behavior analytic principles. They might not say that they have an ABA program, and the reason why they'd have to be cautious saying that is in order for you to really call it an ABA program, you have to have a board-certified behavior analyst or a BCBA overseeing the program. Mm So some schools may not necessarily have a BCBA on staff or they might not be contracting with a BCBA to come in and supervise the program, but they may be still using some behavior analytic principles 
in terms of their teaching. Now, for, for parents who are just dealing with their child's diagnosis or just received a diagnosis and they're just getting started and they're wondering what they can do about it and what kind of, what, uh, what kind of advice would you offer them as they consider their options for uh, education and support and uh, special helps? Sure. One of the things that we have actually at our office in the waiting area is this poster on how to be an informed consumer. And that is one of the biggest things that I think parents, when they're just delving into this area, is really focusing on being an informed consumer, being weary of those bad and pseudoscientific treatments that are out there, um, and being able to identify what is considered an evidence-based treatment versus one of those pseudoscientific treatments. There's um, treatments pop up, like you know, it seems like every day something new is coming out and someone's claiming to find, have the cure for autism. So for parents to be able to know how to analyze those treatments and what to look for <clears throat> to determine whether this is actually an evidence-based treatment or if it's considered what we would talk about as pseudoscientific. Yeah, because I know there's a... Uh... You know, it's funny with the autism spectrum itself. There are so many variations. You you can go from very mild to severely incapacitated, and all kinds of degrees in between. You know, the idea that there's just going to be one cure for all of it is uh, kind of ridiculous. It is, and and some of the things that parents need to be leery of are those therapies that promise. Um, high success rates without any supporting evidence or that promise rapid effects, you'll see differences right away. Mm-hmm. Um, or those that say that they can address all these skill deficits um, and excesses but don't provide any evidence as to how this will occur. So these are definitely those are things that parents have to look out for. One of the um, warning flags, too, that I always, the signals that I always tell parents to look out for are those that, that make criticisms of validated treatments as their justification for implementing their interventions. Right. Those are the ones that you kind of want to be leery of. Right, because, yeah, maybe it didn't work for their kid, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work for all kids. Right. Right. And, you know, I've, I've always... Myself, I've always been cautionary around people who say, well, you know, there's a conspiracy against this because the big pharma or the big medical industry won't make any money if we do it this way. Right. Which is a a bit ludicrous because I have a feeling that if it worked, they would use it. Right. Well, you're located here in West Michigan. Uh, What's the best way someone could get in touch with you and your business to find out more information? Sure. Our our business, actually, the evidence-based consultants, they merged. Uh, about a year ago with developmental enhancement. Mm -hmm. And so our main office is the phone number there would be the best way to get in touch with any of the BCBAs that we have. Okay. Okay. And the phone number is? 616-667-9551. Okay. And uh, how about your website? (laughs) Our website is under construction. Ah. So... (laughs) It's a point of contention now in right. the organization. So I would advise not to go to the website. You're not going to get much information off of okay. there right now. All right. How about your Facebook page? Would yeah, that be so helpful? Developmental Enhancement has a Facebook page, but so does Evidence-Based Consultants. Ah, okay. Uh, and so I would go on the Evidence-Based Consultants Facebook page 
mm-hmm. if they want to get more information as to what's going on within the ABA sector of developmental enhancement. Okay. Well, we'll put links to that up on our website so that way uh, everyone can get right to you. And we'll put the uh, phone number there as well. And then finally, um, for those who don't live in the West Michigan area, is there a national website for people who uh, can learn more about uh, applied behavior analysis and whether or not it can help their children? Definitely. We have um, an international association. It's called the Association for Behavior Analysis International, um, ABAI. And so it has its website. You can go on there, and there's a variety of information. It lists also the conferences that you can attend. And some of the conferences are geared towards parents, and then some of the conferences are geared towards students and practitioners. So you could definitely go on there and kind of identify and look at some of those conferences, especially ones that are geared towards parents, as to what's going on in the field of ABA from for a parent's perspective. Mm-hmm. That's great. So there's uh, then there's more information they can look up as far as like articles and things like that? Right. That's wonderful. Okay, and that website again is? It is the Association for Behavior Analysis International. I believe the website is abai.org. Ah, okay. I'll make sure to get that and post that on our website as well for uh, the end of this podcast. Now, is there anything else that parents should consider or keep in mind when they're looking into the idea of applied behavior analysis for their own kids? One of the things that I didn't touch base on, too, is um, not all behavior analysis programs are equal either. Mm -hmm. So uh, just because it's an ABA program doesn't mean that it's going to be an amazing program. (laughs) So I think parents still need to... um, be able to identify someone that could be a good match for their child. You can have the best behavior analysis program. I tell this to our ABA technicians. These are the individuals that work one-on-one with the kids. Mm -hmm. The best laid out behavior analysis program, but it's only as good as the person implementing it. Right. So if you find yourself in a behavior analysis program and you just don't feel like uh, the child is making gains or the data seems to the child has plateaued, Definitely approach your BCBA, but again, it might be one of those things where you have to look at switching up individual providers or technicians and see if maybe there's someone else who has a better relationship with the child or who can build a better foundational relationship with the child, because really that's what it comes down to. Right. It is all about relationships and how well you respond to the person you're working with, just like it would be if you were seeing a medical doctor or uh, a mechanic, for that matter. Definitely. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's like anybody. It's a service. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Connie. I really appreciate it. That was Connie Raymakers, Director of ABA Services at Evidence-Based Consultants, which is located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We'll have links to her Facebook page and the national website that she mentioned, as well as the phone number you can call for more information right on the SpecialParentsConfidential.com website page for this podcast number 15. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.